Aspire to dream. Aspire to achieve. Aspire to lead. Aspire to forge your own path. I'm Josh Booth, and on behalf of the Aspire team, I want to welcome you to Chapter 13 of Aspire, the life of an entrepreneur, with our special guest, Ambassador Edward Crawford, and our Aspire host, Thomas Kelly. In Chapter 13, Ed Crawford talks about the various ways that he has served his country in official capacities as a soldier, USO board member, and ambassador to Ireland through one of the most trying years of Brexit and the pandemic. He quotes President Kennedy's inaugural exhortation, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, as he has lived that philosophy. You have, we were talking about this earlier, you have served your government a couple of different ways, including the classic, you were in the military when you were a young man. Uh, Tell us about that. Did you enjoy your time in the military? I really did. You know, we were fortunately between wars. And knowing that uh, I was going to serve, I decided to join in Shaker Heights. It was the 107th Armored Division, the Cavalry Division, and that was the closest place to get involved. So I spent a great deal of time there in the military. I got the do some boxing there, which I enjoyed. That reminds me of the movie, From Here to Eternity. Boxers were kind of like a special category in the Army. Well, they were if you could box. (laughs) If you you could win. (laughs) Going in the military was as strange as, you know, becoming an ambassador. I mean, it's a lot of things you don't expect, but it was a wonderful experience. And what years? What years were these? Well, I came out in 63, so 61, 62, 63, and that's when Cleveland Steel Container and the pail business was being calculated because when I was not in there, I was at John Carroll Lake School. It kind of all mixes up, but these were very formative years for me. And Right, and did you serve overseas anywhere? No. You all served domestically, served right. in the U.S. Well, for your entire tenure. Now, you said, okay, we were between wars. It was a peaceful time. When you say 61, 62, 63... There were some dramatic international events, at least, that that happened then. And sometimes you were on extremely high alert, like a Cuban Missile Crisis. When I got in, I arrived at Fort Knox. This is at Fort Knox? Yeah. You served at Fort Knox? Well, then I went on to Arkansas. Okay, and Fort Knox, did you get any souvenirs? Just checking. I just thought. No, no, no. I I wasn't thinking of fun things like that. I was Uh just... Because they were calling up units one after another. Better than 50-50, we'd get called up. Mm -hmm. Some of my friends got called up, some didn't. Luck of the draw. He sent me to a friend of his out in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. It was another hotbed where people were sending boxers at that time and good athletes. Kind of a strange set of circumstances, but I felt good about that. And when President Trump wasn't even on the horizon, you know, you had George Bush, and I got involved with him. Okay, now this is many, many years later. Well, and you decided you wanted to serve your country again. Why was that? The willingness to serve is, it was on my mind. So when President Bush was elected, you know, I was involved in that. Those campaigns were not that easy. No. They approached me and asked me, because I showed a lot of interest in being involved. You know, I'm not going to run for office, so what's next great thing? So, of course, the ambassadorship was just a kind of a fun thing to think about. 
I never thought it was realistic. But I did reach out and contact them, and it was interviewed for the USO. Now, the USO is a very famous organization. Back to, back to the Bob Hope days. Bob Hope days around Second World War. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you, folks, these Marines are really tough. They're really tough. I asked one guy if he'd seen John Wayne, and he said, John Wayne, who's she? <laughs> and their motto is, Semper Fidelis. That means, oh, don't worry about it, Doc. Just nail it back on. <laughs> Serving on the USA, USO board, if you don't understand it, next time you're going through your airport, like Cleveland Hopkins Airport in New York, there's always a USO office there with people on hand. So any active member, any member of the military can stop there and use the phones there to call their family. And mm-hmm. and they can sit in there rather than sitting up on the benches. So I, I said, that's a great thing. I'm going to do that. So I got it on. It is. It's just a benevolent organization yeah. to help take care of the military. Yeah. Uh, when they're traveling. So I went down to Washington. Three months later, I get a call and come down, and they offered me to join the board. The board of directors board of, of direct- USO. Yeah. And that, that they were, I think there were 14 members. And I was all excited. met some very interesting, dynamic people. And uh, that was a great thing. So it came up again. The ambassadorship came up again. By this time, I was ready. The company was a big company by now. You know, mm-hmm. this is... When you start, you and I have been talking about this thing. This just started, in the truck breaking down on the way to California in right. 1948. So From there to the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to Ireland. Yeah, said to uh, Ryan's Primus, who was the head of the chief of staff of the, sure. pre- uh, of the president. RNC. He said, there's talk about you being interested in the ambassadorship. And I said, yeah, I'd be interested in the ambassadorship. I think Matthew's ready. If I have to go, he can take it over. He's been here 20 years, and he's only 50 years old, but he's ready for it. Mm-hmm. There is no application. You say, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. And they came back, and they said, well, if you're really serious about this, you better get it on the table. They said, well, I am serious about it. And he says, well, you're going to have to give us three countries you're willing to serve in. And I said, yeah, I have three. Ireland, Ireland, and Ireland. <laughs> Would you have considered an appointment as ambassador to any other country? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't. I, Good. I, my mother and father were both born there. Mm-hmm. And this is the, if you go back to from our early discussions, I mean, this is in 1907, my mom leaving there, you know, when she was 17 years old and becoming a nun to get to America mm-hmm. to meet <laughs> my father. They had three boys to send me back there as a, as a ambassador. ambassador. That's mm-hmm. quite a trip. It is. Yeah, when I was staying there in the little cottage down there, which. I think 90 years and 92 years between when that happened. So all those things were deep on my mind. So I said, fine, if it's going to happen. Well, it did happen. Sure did. But it wasn't an easy process. Why do they hold up these ambassador appointments sometimes for months in Congress? What do they do that for? When when you get appointed, I get a new status now. I'm a candidate. Tell me they were going to be doing a, a research on my background. They talked to, I know of 52 people in the next two weeks. because That were contacted. They were contacted. Well, and, they're serious about that. Oh, they were very serious. You can't believe it. They went digging, and they'd come back. Then you start the real march. You know, then you get asked to come to ambassador school. Ambassador, is there an ambassador school? There is an ambassador school in Washington, D.C., and it is an eight-week course. Wow. Eight weeks. Five to five and a half days a week. 
starts at 8 o'clock and ends at 5.30, okay? Well, this is serious, and too. So you arrive there, and it's kind of fun. You had a choice to stay there on campus or go to a hotel that was certified. Mm-hmm. So I took a hotel. I get there at 7.30, so I'm way ahead of schedule. And there's already 10 or 15 or 20 people. I understand there's 27 people in this class, okay? And they're all uh, about to become ambassadors? They're all in the queue to become ambassadors. Wow. But what happens immediately is you understand that 24 of them are career State Department staff. These are the best of the best of the best. In the State Department. In the State Department. And that's where a lot of the ambassadors come from. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and there were three of us that were civilians. So it was very obvious that this was very heavily weighted towards, and these people could speak four languages, mm-hmm. and they'd been, in, been all around the world. And if, if they weren't, didn't have an MBA or a doctor's degree, or so, they were, it was amazing, unbelievable. The first day, there was nothing happened immediately. The first day, just chat, chat, chat. The next day, it opens up, and I'm sitting in the back row, and there are like six people running it. Mm-hmm. And basically, the whole idea is you're going to be in the school for six eight. to eight weeks, depending mm-hmm. on the situation. You have to get here and you have to graduate from here before you can go on to the next step, which is the Foreign Relations Committee. Now, that seems like a long way away to me. They are really, really tough. You have to listen to someone's view of this. It was foreign to me, the fact that you'd be this important and not have any authority. How do you get graded here? You know, so I'm, you know, thinking about every single angle I could possibly think about. And they started talking about the murder day. I said, murder day, I like that. So what's the murder day? Yeah, what is uh, the murder day? Two weeks left, two candidates a day, two in the morning, two in the afternoon. It's a go-forward situation, meaning it sounds like you might not go forward. Mm-hmm. He didn't say that, but she said it's a go-forward situation. You mean th- these are cuts? Well, they don't say that. But that's what happens sometimes. It happened with me because they bring you into a room like this room, twice the size of it, and they bring in 20 different people. We don't, I don't know why I historically accepted that the idea is the murder room. But as I'm telling you, you know, I said, I love this game. <laughs> to me, it's, a, you know, it's rejection. Oh, here, this is, this is, it's right up my alley. I love rejection. Mm-hmm. I can handle this thing. So I'm, I want to go first. So then I'm in the room, and I'm ready for this. They came at me with some questions and so forth. But Give me an example of a tough question they asked. tough you. question is, why do we believe that you really love America? That's a good question. Tell us something that makes me feel comfortable that you really love America. You're not here just to be an ambassador candidate. Mm-hmm. And it, hey, I'm glad they asked you a question like that. But go ahead. What did you say? I said, well, I'm talking as an American. The bottom line is I'm qualified. I'm prepared for it. And I love America. And I want to serve America. And on top of it, I'm Irish. <laughs> Which, there had to be some Irish people there. To stay, you know? <laughs> Good punchline. Yeah, so I, I walked out. Yeah. So uh, they set the date to go to the Foreign Relations Committee. That took another That took another three months. My family, the three grandchildren, Matthew, Mary, a guy named Jim Wirt, Key Bank, the vice chairman there. Yeah, he's a good guy to have. Yeah, and I had him along with me, of course, Senator Portman. Chairman Johnson and Ranking Member Shaheen and Senator Menendez uh, for holding the hearing today. And as you say, we've got some vitally important roles to be filled, and and one is Ireland. Along with my colleague, uh, Senator Brown, uh, it's my honor to introduce Ed Crawford as the nominee to serve as ambassador to Ireland. 
Um, I'm happy to see that Mary is with us today too, his wife and his son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren. Uh, Mr. Chairman, you look at uh, Ed's biography, he's been president, CEO, or director of so many successful companies, philanthropic organizations. He's worked tirelessly to improve his community, not just by building his business from the ground up, but also uh, being very involved in the community and, and, again, providing great jobs for the people of Cleveland. He's very proud of his Irish-American heritage. As you might imagine, uh, having gotten the, the Mayo Society Award, uh, he's been involved with that. It was said uh, in 2016 that there were about 32 million Americans who claimed Irish heritage. Uh, I think half of them are in Cleveland, Ohio, and I think Ed knows most of them. Uh, he's really active in Irish-American civic groups, was a driving force behind the Irish Garden Club of Cleveland's which is dedicated to preserving the magnificent Irish cultural garden, which some of you may have seen uh, when you uh, visited Cleveland. Ed was a founding member and served as its president. These affiliations represent just a small portion of his charitable work, so he's been so involved in the betterment of Cleveland, the people of Ohio, and has a track record to prove it. He's highly qualified. I'm confident he's the right person to serve as our ambassador to Ireland. Maybe more importantly, the Irish want him, and they're eager to get him there. So we go there, we sit, we go into the holding room, I'm sitting there, it's about to go exactly on time. Menendez is in his seat, sitting right next to the chairman. Mm -hmm. We know this is gonna be a war. We gotta sit down there. Just before he gavels it down, who walks in? Sherrod Brown. Oh, the other Ohio senator. Democrat. Was he coming in to So he sits down to help or to hurt? He came in and sat down at the other end. That means he was recognizing to speak after Portman. What was he up to? He says, this candidate I've known for a very long time. And he Is that I, true? Yeah, well, I mean, politically, you know, he's been, I wasn't on his side all the time. He said, Mr. Crawford, the, the candidate, politically, I cannot tell you how different we are. I don't agree with him on anything, mm-hmm. and I'll never agree with anything. His position on certain matters are not to be discussed today. But I will tell you one thing about him. The guy saves jobs. He saves distressed companies. He brings them back to life. This guy deserves to go forward. I thought that. Well, that's a big deal. Six months before then, I called him when I first started. I said, I'm going to do this. And he says, well, good luck. I said, well, I just want to let you know that, you know, no one contacted him. He made that decision himself. That pretty much closed the book, didn't it? And then Menendez says, hold up. He said, the chairman, he said, I've got a, a, a few open ends I'd like to discuss. Mm. with Mr. Crawford. Matthew is sitting here for a second. He, he just pats me right on the shirt sleeves here, almost onto my ass. He pats me on the sack, <laughs> and he says, easy, Dad. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's accustomed to me. Somebody comes at me, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm up waiting around for the second mm-hmm. punch, you know. Now, do you have, do they vote on you at the Foreign Relations Committee? So, so he opens up and said, you know, something... It seems to me you're just another rich person, you know, gets appointed to something like this. Your your background and top of it, you tell me if you know anything about working people. You say you have manufacturing. Do you actually know anyone that works for you? I mean, he jumps right into my face on uh-huh. this. He couldn't have asked me a, a better qu- question in my whole life. <laughs> I called Mr. Menendez. I didn't use the Senate thing, you know. Good. Yeah, just to sharpen him up a little bit. I said, it's interesting you point that out. You've probably never been to Connie at Ohio. And I have a company there, and it has 280 employees. To your point, it's a small little town, only 8,000 people. 
in this city, and they're in working for me. And they have been at this point almost 15 years. And yes, I do know something about it. Every one of them come up to the time clock with a piece of paper and punch in. Have you ever punched in at a time clock? <laughs> you didn't say that. I me. did. <laughs> I didn't give it at this point. There's a shot down. Hey, and I want to guess it's true. You know most of the employees in Conneaut by name. Lots of them. I don't know. It's, it's bigger now. But at that time, I probably did because mm-hmm. there was only 100 people at that time. Mm-hmm. But the, the great thing about this is he stunned a little bit because I pushed back on him so hard, you know, about, about that. So now I, you know, he makes a couple other remarks. So Mr. Crawford, Tom Quinn is a pain in the neck. Uh, and so I, I agree. Yeah, there we go. So we can agree on a little Irish humor there. Uh, so uh, if he came to me one more time about your nomination, you might have never had a hearing uh, at the rate he was going. But I'm glad you're here today. So long and short of it is he stumbles around a little bit. And. Now it's funny. So we come back. This is on a Tuesday, and they're, they're going to vote. Matthew comes in, and he says, Dad, it's, he says, right here, you got a unanimous vote from the Foreign Relations Committee. He voted for you. Even Menendez. Menendez. Wow. 90 votes for me and four against me. Oh, it went to the whole Senate. It is a Senate. That's why it's a life position. Uh-huh. That's why it's respectful for anyone to call me, not because it's I'm Ed Crawford or what I've accomplished of where I've been, it's respectful because it carries over from the old view in Europe, particularly, you know, of service. It's title. And being an ambassador is for a life. And yes, you get you People, get to hold that title. It's like an admiral or a general or a president. Or a doctor. You Once a, a president retires yeah. for the rest of his life, you still call him president. So I have to be confirmed now. Where do I have to be confirmed? I got to be confirmed in Ireland. I said, they're going to ambush me in Ireland. When I get there, there's going to be something. There's that. another confirmation in Ireland? His Excellency, the Ambassador of the United States of America. Mr. President, I'm honored to be in your company. President Trump says your best wishes for you and for all the Irish community. Uh, I feel very pleased and honored to be standing here. My father, mother left Ireland in 25 my father, 1927, they went through Ellis Islands as immigrants, and I'm returning. So I'm an Irish family with Irish roots, and I'm very, very pleased to be here. I have my credentials, and I would like to present it to you. I got my whole family with me, mm-hmm. and we landed at Dublin Airport, no less than 15 cars out there. And there's not one, not two, three BMWs, bulletproof BMWs. And we go out there. I'm going to the residence, which is 25 minutes away. It was amazing because since they lost that ambassador in Benghazi, they're very sensitive. Yeah. And the one thing about when you when you get to that level, I'm never allowed to never be allowed to be off the property without security. It's, it's interesting, even to myself, when I think of, you know, here we are. We started talking about this trip. You know, talking about a truck breaking down the way to California. This is why it's, if there's any value in this, it's worth sharing uh, because I've been very, very lucky, very blessed to have, you know, as they, the old saying, the wind at my back. You know, mm-hmm. if the wind's at your back, you know, the sunshine's on your face. Uh, you got a very good chance of 
well, let's put the expectations are these, like Kennedy, do what you can do for your country rather than what the country can do for you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I always love that saying. You have lived that. Join us for the last chapter to get a full picture of Ambassador Ed Crawford as a public figure and a very private person with his thoughts for moving full speed at 84. Move on to Aspire, Chapter 14. It's a wonderful life. This is Josh Booth. Thanks for listening.